is What's Up? This is your host, Stephanie Miller, and welcome back to the Killer Kind Podcast. So this week, I started to not put out a new episode. Basically, I I hope some people can relate to this. (laughs) The weeks just got away from me, and two, we're prepping for vacation. So by the time you guys are listening to this, I will actually be on vacation, and I am going with my husband's whole family and and my seven-month-old. So needless to say, a lot of preparation has been taking place, and unfortunately, I just have not been able to dive into a case like I really like to and like I really think I need to. So what I decided to do is do a bonus episode instead of putting out nothing. A bonus episode for me is going to look like this. We're gonna do three to five cases that really don't require a lot of research from me. It's really just kind of like the nitty gritty, the you know short and sweet version of the case, which I have a long list of cases that I do want to cover. And some of these were on that list. So if you would like to hear these again in really just a more detailed version of these cases then definitely let me know which one your which one's your favorite and maybe in the future I can cover one of these in more detail. Now this week we're going to do five cases and these five are just one just too interesting not to share first of all and really are just actually crazy. Some of them are really insane. Um, so I wanted to get this out there and for you guys to hear it. But if you do want full episodes on these or one or two of these, let me know and I'll be happy to do that in the future. Now, unfortunately, this is not going to be a longer episode. It is still going to be kind of short, but that's kind of what I want these bonus episodes to be. I want them to be the length of the usual episodes, but just, you know, more chatty content, more, you know, short and sweet versions of cases. Now, I would love to know your feedback on this. This is my first bonus episode, so if you do not like it, definitely let me know. Um, You will not hurt my feelings, but if you do, maybe we can do a couple of these in the future, maybe even in between episodes. But without further ado, guys, let's go ahead and jump into this week's bonus episode, Top 5 Cases That You Just Have To Hear. Case number one is the story of Mary Bell. Mary Bell lived in Britain in 1968. She was 11 years old at the time, and she ended up strangling two young boys in the span of two months. Mary came from a broken home with a teenage sex worker for a mother and just an all-around criminal for a father. When she and her accomplice, Norma Bell, which also I would say the two are not related, they were just friends at the time. They were both arrested by police not long after the second murder. Mary reportedly said, that's all right by me, when she was under arrest. And during the trial, Norma appeared distraught. She seemed to be very emotional, very remorseful, and just very upset about the whole thing. However, Mary did not warrant the same emotions. (laughs) She was very much straight-faced, zero emotion, very defiant when it came to questioning and, and doing what she was told. 
A court psychiatrist described her as intelligent, manipulative, and dangerous. Now, Norma was not found guilty. She was let go because, one, I think there's lack of evidence that she was really involved. And two, she showed remorse. She showed guilt. And she showed that this was not something that she actually wanted to do. And I personally believe, without diving into this case further, that Mary was definitely the driving force and maybe Norma was there, but I don't believe she had much involvement there. But again, I would need to dive in more to really find that out, but just from a brief view, that's what it looks like. Now, Mary was found guilty. She was found guilty of manslaughter, and she ended up serving 12 years in prison, which It's not very long for murder, (laughs) but again, remember, she was 11 years old, so she was tried as a minor, not as as an adult, and she ended up escaping prison, actually, at one point during her time being served, and which is insane. I mean, who, how is she 11 years old and this insane, but (laughs) she ended up being released after her 12 years were served, and she was granted... Um, the ability to change her name and in order to protect her identity. And she went on to live a full, happy life. She had a child of her own. And in 2009 was the last report of her. She had become a grandmother. And so that's it for her case. She, for unknown reasons, murdered two young boys and served her time and moved on with her life, which many would argue, I think, you guys would argue, and myself included, that something was seriously wrong with this person. And I hope to goodness that she grew out of that and became a better person. And I hope that she didn't hurt anyone else after that. But I guess we'll never know. Case number two is about the Girl Scout murders. In the summer of 1977, three young Girl Scouts staying at an Oklahoma campsite were raped and murdered. The girls' names were Lori, Michelle, and Doris, and they were between the ages of 8 and 10. About two months prior to the murders, a camp counselor at this campsite found a disturbing note in her belongings. The culprit promised to murder three children at the camp, knowing that young campers enjoyed telling scary stories. The camp counselor just kind of wrote it off as one of those campfire stories that um, just something to laugh about, you know, just just scare somebody. And so she really dismissed it and didn't think much about it until early in the morning on June 13th, 1977, the three young girls' bodies were found in their sleeping bags out on the trail leading to the camp showers. The only evidence that their killer left behind was a red flashlight and a bloody footprint. The prime suspect in the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders was Jean Leroy Hart, an escaped convict. Hart had been raised about a mile from from Camp Scott, and at the time of the murders, he was at large after escaping from prison, where he had been serving time for burglary, kidnapping, and rape. So the suspect seemed to fit the bill. A local jury ended up actually acquitting Hart, though, of the crime, citing a lack of evidence. However, Oklahoma police considered the case solved. And to this day, no one knows if Jean Leroy 
Hart got away with the murder or if the true killer was someone else entirely. Either way, the girl's killer never saw justice. Case number three occurred on August 14th, 2004. Someone had murdered a young couple sleeping on a remote beach in Jenner, California. Jason Allen, 26, and Lindsay Cutshaw, 22, were devout religious camp counselors and engaged to be married. They were the perfect young Christian couple. Their deaths began a mystery that would confine police and amateur sleuths for 13 years. Who would kill such a couple? No one could think of any reason to target Cutshaw and Allen other than just random cruelty. The local investigators never gave up on the case, though. They searched high and low for any potential killer, and they gathered any evidence they possibly could around the couple's body and the surrounding areas. However, it wasn't until 2018, in the month of May, a suspect named Sean Gallen was finally charged with the crime after he was arrested for killing his brother. Gallen was known for random violence and had knowledge of the scene that police had never released to the public. So even though the case may have been solved, there's just too much unknown here. What is the purpose? Why do this? And how evil can you be to just randomly murder someone? I just, I can't wrap my head around that. Case number four. Case number four took place in the early 1980s. The victim was Dorothy Jane Scott. Dorothy had been had began receiving threatening phone calls at her place of work. And she was a single mom of a toddler, and at the time, she just didn't really think much of it. Until one night, when a sketchy voice over the phone told her to look outside. A single dead rose was lying on her windshield of her car. The stalker who had gotten a hold of her number would would go back and forth between professing his love for her and then threatening her bodily harm. Dorothy ended up mentioning this to several family members and friends that the voice over the phone sounded very familiar, and but she just couldn't quite put her finger on it. One night, a staff meeting, one night at a staff meeting, Dorothy noticed one of her coworkers looked ill. So her and another coworker took this man to a nearby hospital, and the doctors said that he actually had a nasty spider bite and had to give him a prescription, but ultimately he was good to go. While the two coworkers were waiting for the prescription to be filled, Dorothy went out to the parking lot to get her car, basically just to pull it around to the front to get the two people she was with. And this was actually the last time she was ever seen alive. Her coworkers testified that after she did not return, they went out to meet her in the parking lot. And at that time, they saw her car speeding away. So they assumed there was an emergency with her son or something. But Dorothy never returned home to her son, nor did anyone hear from her again. Yet, four years later, her charred bones were found at a construction site. Adding another layer of mystery to this case is the fact that a set of dog bones were also found right next to her remains. Though people on the internet are still discussing this case today, there really is no further evidence and no one was ever convicted or held in suspicion of the crime. And the mysterious caller was never 
found. Now this last case is probably the most interesting to me um, because if you've ever seen the movie Gone Girl, you know homegirl is crazy. And, <laughs> and in this case, it's the same situation. Now, from what I understand, this is not the case the movie was based off of. I don't even know if the movie was based off the particular case or not, but this could possibly fit the bill. So in 2015, a physical therapist named Denise Huskins was kidnapped from her Vallejo, California home, and her boyfriend, Aaron Quinn, was left behind tied to a dining room chair. Now, if you've ever seen the movie, we're off to a very similar start. I went to the beginning of the movie, but at some point in the movie, the woman goes missing. She really, the family and the news and the media all get involved and they all immediately suspect the husband. And, you know, he's basically fighting for his innocence the whole time she's missing. Now, after Denise was kidnapped or after Denise, yeah, after Denise was kidnapped, her kidnapper demanded $110,000 ransom for her return. And two days later, she was released. And after 48 terrifying hours, which included being raped twice by her captor, supposedly, she discovered no one believed her, not even the police. And also, no one believed Aaron Quinn's report of the kidnapping, assuming that he had killed her. So, to back up, basically, he's the one that said that he got this ransom note requesting $110,000. And it was so it was so specific, I almost wonder if there was something, maybe debt, that the two were behind on, or that Aaron was behind on, or even Denise herself were behind on that, you know, this $110,000 could cover. And that's just a thought. But again, I'm not saying I don't believe them, but with such a random number and and really, you know, everyone else basically saying that this guy's lying and, and these two are just not telling the truth. It's a, it's a little suspicious, but either way, the two ended up getting stuck in a legal limbo and, and they were accused of trying to pull a scam. And they ended up being victims of just a universal doubt, meaning nobody in the world believed them until someone attempted an identical crime. A Harvard-educated attorney named Michael Mueller was convicted of the kidnapping and assault and sentenced to 40 years in prison. And now there's so many layers to examine in the story of Denise's kidnapping and the police skepticism, which led to um, Denise and Aaron's eventual winning, eventually winning a $2.5 million lawsuit against them and they were, ended up being attacked through social media and just the comparison of the well-known movie at the time. Not to mention, there's a bizarre, disturbed culprit, which is Michael Mueller. He was just an odd character to begin with. I, I really just wonder if they all played a part in this, but that's my conspiracy theory brain. I won't, I won't dive into that. But you can, you can make your own opinions and your own assumptions. But if you would like for me to cover this case at all in the future, which I hope I get some feedback for yes on that, I would love to do that. <laughs> I would love to dive into this case because something doesn't add up here. But again, I hope they're okay. I hope they're all happy. I hope they're living a good life and I hope she is well. But guys, that's my top five cases for this week's bonus episode. Did you like any of the cases? Did you like all of the cases? 
Is there any that you would like for me to cover more in depth and do a full episode on? I would love to know. So be sure to head over to the podcast Instagram page and you can leave your comments on this week's Instagram post or you can go to um, the email or you can go to the website at thekillerkindpod.com. There is a case suggestions box, but you can also leave your feedback for each case there as well. And again, the podcast Instagram page is killer.kind.pod and you can always direct message me there or comment on any of the posts to give your feedback but that's it guys wish me luck this week on vacation with a seven month old and my entire my entire husband's family wish me luck it's gonna be crazy (laughs) i hope everyone has a great couple weeks and i will see you guys back here in two weeks thanks so much guys i'll talk to you later bye